slip it in. Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the second episode of the Big Players Only Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in for the first one. We're glad you're back. Such loyal listeners. Man, we got some good fans. Tonight, you get to meet our final member, Tyler. Couldn't join us week one. He's our sports betting and odds specialist, amongst many other great qualities, I must say. After that, we'll cover the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Just an awesome weekend for golf. Some really great story headlines. A really great leaderboard. Two extra holes of playoff golf to decide the winner. Who doesn't love free golf? As well as a recognition for one of our panel members here at the Big Players Only, correctly selecting the winner in Scotty Scheffler. Pretty impressive stuff. We'll then jump into the Genesis Invitational coming up this week at Riviera Country Club. Colin, his favorite tournament of the year, he's going to tell us more about why that is. It's really an awesome course. Some really fun holes. Should be a good field as well. We'll make our picks and see if we can get it right again. Heads up, right? Then to close out the podcast, we have a really great topic and question uh, what's the most important club in the bag? We're going to go around the, the room here, maybe talk about what our handicap is and then what area or club we need to be playing well with to enjoy ourselves the most and then score the best. And then we're also going to look at the PGA Tour. We have some great strokes gained statistics uh, in categories like driving the golf ball, irons into the green, and then short game and putting. Uh, seeing how many strokes of players picking up on the field in these categories and why that might give us some insight into uh, what the best players in the world are doing better than anyone else. And maybe by the end, we can tell you uh, what attributes the best players in the world really do have right now. Looking forward to a good episode. Let's get it. Coochie down to the socks like I'm Biggie Papa. Keep your girl head in my Tommy boxes. But when it out, she'll sell it out. Tyler. Glad to have you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, great to be here, brother. Uh, sorry that I missed uh, last week. Spent the last two years fighting off the vid, but uh, she finally called up to me. But we're back. We're here, just as average as ever. Let's get so it, baby. Let's get after it. So just a quick entry about myself. Um, been playing golf for the last, we'll call it 18 years. Um, started really with the middle school family vacations down to Myrtle Beach. Dad would trot us out to the course. Uh, be my dad, my brother, and I just go hacking it around. Drop about a buck forty on the course. Dad's embarrassed seeing us hacking around, but it was it was great to get out there with the family, and we've really picked it up from there. Nice, nice. So I guess uh, next next step of the intro is favorite tournament of the year. Um, I'm going to be boring with it, uh, but it's got to be the Masters. Hey. Um, hey, you and Ken. Ken said the same thing, and before listening last week, I had the same thought. Is there's one tournament that I'm downloading the app for, and it's the Masters. So it, it's got to be. Everyone looks forward to it every year. You just hear the intros, and you're you're there. I don't know about you guys, but I'm downloading the U.S. Open app. I'm downloading the Open app, and then I'm also deleting them again, but I'll give it to you. Yeah. No, I hear you. Um, maybe a little controversy coming for this next one. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. I was going back and forth on it. Uh, who's my favorite golfer? And the way I was thinking about it was, who's really getting me in there to tune in every week in golf? And I really couldn't come up with anyone right now. Obviously, all of us used to be Tiger. Yep. Um, but with him, you only see him every once in a while. Where I kind of went with this was actually I kept it in the family. Favorite golfer right now, Charlie Woods. You tell me, <laughs> hell yeah, baby. You tell PNC. me he's on my TV. I'm tuning in. That's a great I, one. I don't care where I'm at. I'm pulling it up on my phone. I'm saying, what is Charlie doing? Nice. I really thought you were going to go with your body double, Shane Lowry. I thought about Shane as well, but oh, I'm man. not tuning in to see Shane. I'm tuning in to Previous see Previous open champ. When Charlie's out there and he's leaving notes in the bunker for JT, 
and he's just talking all his smack. He's walking up. He's hitting drives. Dad doesn't even have to hit him behind him. He turns around before the ball even lands, giving a thumbs up to Dad. Like, Charlie, he is that dude. I can't wait to follow him the next few years, see if, if he's able to make the tour. So, Tippy, how many futures bets do you have in right now for uh, Charlie Woods <laughs> to win a major in the next 15 years or so? You know, I have looked into it. I um, haven't really found any I'm loving yet. Let, let's get a little more data in here for Charlie. And we, we might throw something in here. Once Fandle's here in Maryland, we, we might throw a little in for Charlie. You're like Rory's family. I don't really know the numbers, but I think Rory's dad and community probably put like three grand on Rory to win a major at some point when he was like in his, you know, 12-year-old range and they probably made like half a million dollars. That's going to be us. Unfortunately, I don't think Charlie is as behind the scenes as Rory was back then. <laughs> I think everyone's already on the bandwagon there. Um, but then just the last thing about me, one word to describe my golf game, boring. It's like, I, I don't think it gets any more than that. It's just like, don't get in trouble off the tee. I might get there. If I get a par, I get a par. Uh, not really not really blowing up too much anymore, but it's hit one off the tee. You're not in any trouble. Try to get the second clo- shot close to the green. And try to get out of there with a chip and putt and take a par. There's nothing more exciting than that. One not shirt exactly better the, than me. Not exactly the big player mentality we were expecting from you here, Tip. I mean, maybe my younger days are up there ripping off the tee, but I mean, as we're getting a little bit older, it's just get it out there, stay in play, try to get out of there with a par. I think a few of our listeners probably wouldn't mind playing boring golf, and neither would Dub, who described his game as left, right, short, long, fat, thin. Well, cool. Thanks for introducing yourself, Tyler. Everyone, we welcome Tyler to the pod. Now we're going to move into the the Waste Management or WM Phoenix Open. Great week of golf. Tully, kick us off. I mean, the People's Open delivered again here, guys. I think we can all agree on that. Sure did. It's got to be the most fun event to just watch from a spectator perspective on the PGA Tour schedule. You know, you never know what's going to happen out there, which is just always electric. I mean, sum it all up here, you know, for the fifth time in the last 10 years... Uh, for this tournament, it goes into playoffs, which always great. Kind of sucks winning the Super Bowl. I'll be honest. Definitely turn the channel. But, you know, it ended with Scotty Scheffler getting his first win. Shout out to uh, our boy Colin. Get great pick here last Plus week. Plus 2,200. Yeah. Did you cash on that? Did yeah. I? No, but shout out to all those <laughs> listeners out there who put some dough on Scotty and believed in me. Uh, he put it <laughs> absolutely lights out this week. 29 on the back nine, round three. Unbelievable. And then just... Stayed solid that last round and was able to pull it out in the playoff. Yeah, pretty big for him here. That you know that win jumps him into the top ten in the world for the first time in his career. So, pretty big, uh, you know, monumentous event for Scotty there. And overall, leaderboard you know is a hell of a top ten. You know, including five of the top ten golfers now six with uh, Scotty jumping up there, which is you know always exciting to see, leading us into a a big week next week with everyone being there. So, so Tully, do you think it's easier to get your first win if you're coming from behind? Scotty, birdies for the last six holes was really irrelevant going into the final stretch and then just got really hot. I mean, maybe that's the way to collect your first win. You don't have the pressure on you by playing in front, and he could just kind of sneak up out of nowhere, hit some great shots, roll in some putts, and kind of sneak a victory out. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that's a great point. You know, you don't have the pressure. You know you can just kind of go for it. You're not worried about anyone trying to chase you down. You're just trying to make a score, and you can take those risks, and you already know what you're you're dealing with. You're already kind of stuck either way, which kind of leads us right into the next big storyline uh, coming out of the WM Open, which was the hit the gala, you know, chasing that four first win there, you know, leading after 54 holes for the second time in his career, couldn't quite get it done. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to have the PGA Tours new uh, darling, you know, favorite player out there for a lot of new guys. Um, I know. think, Dub, great point. And I think the flip side of the coin is right here. 
Sahith, all the pressure on his shoulders. I mean, I think the guy had, he showed signs of greatness, uh, a really consistent week, uh, four rounds in the 60s. I don't know that final round. He might have been 70, but uh, really great golf. Um, but I think the weight of the, on his shoulders is definitely something that played into that. Uh, Scotty, you know, I think the the idea was there. I think Colin picked him because of his high finish last year. Um, jumping into the top 10 in the world is unbelievable. Thinking about Bryson being number 11 now, Scotty moving to nine. Um, that's just great, great golf he's playing. 100%. You know, it was you know really exciting to see him. And he seemed like he was uh, having a good time out there, even though you could also see, like, in between shots, the pressure. He was way into, like, playing with the fans, interacting. You know, he would have his Pepperdine jersey on in 16. Even on uh, the last day, there was shots of him, you know, just going getting pictures with guys that, you know, someone just went to Pepperdine that was there. His dad called him over and stuff like that, and he was taking photos. So he was really embracing it, but obviously you could you could see it as well where he was kind of getting a little flush, a little wild with some of those swings. Yeah, he will be in the field here next week, so we'll see what he what he comes out with. You know, other super electric thing, you know, we had two holes in ones on sixteen, and that was the first time since Molinari back in twenty fifteen. We had Sam Ryder and Carlo Ortiz, some Grayson boys putting up a, a hell of a show there. Yeah, what a week for Grayson! I think so. It was only thirty three shots on that hole between those holes in ones I saw and. Previously, it was in the thousands since Molinari. Yeah, so. and I think it was 2015, I think, was Molinari's. Pretty cool. Uh, and then Ortiz, on his on the final round, he went ace-eagle, 16-17. Yeah, 2-2. Two, two. Pretty one, electric. 1-2, yeah. That, yeah. that jumped him up. Yeah, I think it would have finished in like the like lower and like just above where the cut was kind of thing to yeah. finish in, you know, somewhere in the 40s, which was you know pretty excited. And then in my my favorite event of you know the tournament was definitely – uh, you know, some, you know, lower uh, performers in the tournament, but electric, electric finishes with uh, Harry Higgs and Joel Damon following through with their Twitter promise after getting paired together, which did offend our girl Paige Peranic, you know, a little over-sexualization of, you know, their bodies, but just letting it all hang out for the boys. You know, it was, it was electric after they rolled in two, two par putts, you know, nothing, nothing super, but it was, it was fun to see for sure. You got I, any thoughts there? Yeah, I certainly didn't know that it was predetermined. I didn't see the Twitter conversation, so that's really funny. Um, but two crowd favorites, kind of two guys that are maybe a little off your radar, still incredibly talented. I mean, I think that I've seen, I've heard so many people talk about Harry Higgs' talent, and and he is does he doesn't have a win yet. So I think that's coming shortly for him. I mean, he's he's got he's got all the skills in the world. Um, and then Joel Damon really recently, and we know him for his bucket hat, uh, playing with Tiger at the Potomac. Uh, event we went to a few years ago um but these two guys are just developing such a big fan base the show easy going and them doing this really just is the the cherry on top for why they're crowd favorites yeah it really feels like this tournament embraces their just whole approach to the golf game you know it's way more relaxed they're they're trying to have fun you know I, i'm sure they they definitely respect the game you can see that in all the other aspects but they're also they want to enjoy what they're doing they want to you know have a a lot of fun out there, and they embrace in that environment, which kind of leads me to the question, like, how do you boys feel about the environment? You know, we saw a lot with, you know, especially on 16 with all the, the holes and ones, the beer cans thrown around. You know, do you feel like other events on the tour should kind of follow suit to some extent? Do you feel like it takes away from the spectacle that is the waste management? You know, what do you guys think? Yeah, I certainly think we're not far off from more events embracing, like, the crowd aspect of it. You know, we have a fun event in the Zurich Open in, in New Orleans. It's a two-man event. It's got walk-up music. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of polarizing opinions uh, for how things went on the 16th this week. Um, I think for most golf fans, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was refreshing. Um, 
but I think we probably need to set some guidelines around that kind of stuff. It, it might've got a little out of hand, not much, um, but I think all in all a great week. Yeah. I think this is really what the game of golf needs is this, you know, event to bring in casual golf fans, maybe not even golf fans. It's, it was so exciting to watch so many storylines that you didn't have to know anything about any of the players. And it would just be a joy to watch with the Coliseum stage there on 16 and, and some of the drama that went in on Sunday. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's great. I, one of the things, the barometers for this is like if a tournament that's like, say, you know, the U.S. Open and the Masters obviously would never allow that kind of behavior. But if, if, a, if a tournament that's deemed to be um, important, quote unquote, I guess this was an important tournament, but like what's the kind of next step? Is there another environment that could take on this type of atmosphere and, and kind of not get that same backlash? I think you're 100 right there. I mean, you're not going to see Augusta be like, yeah, start well, throwing Augusta's beer cans its own, at her. It's yeah, own thing. But obviously, is there exaggeration, another iteration? But I think you look at some of those lesser-known tournaments. You know, a lot of people maybe don't play before you know traveling over to the uh, the Open Championship, for example. I think it's a great way for you know those tournaments to kind of get you know bigger crowd, bigger environment, bigger you know like, hype around them with just adding in some excitement maybe something to think about is there like is there a logical successor to the wm to, to adopt this atmosphere well i think you probably got half a dozen to a dozen tournaments every year that really are not bringing in right. any tv viewership their fan base Build a stadium is course on a part three and see what happens yeah Build i mean like, <laughs> like next week we're going to talk about the honda open which is coming up in a couple weeks we had the american express championship earlier this year even regardless of the players you have in that field just doesn't bring much excitement, and I think you're certainly right. With com- with a potential competing league in the Saudi league coming mm-hmm. along, like yeah. I think the PGA the PGA Tour has like the burden and needs to do this to to stay relevant. Yeah, agreed. Nice. Anything else, Tilly? Just one kind of thing that kind of caught my eye. You know, Scheffler getting his first win here. You know, he was kind of holding that best golfer without a win crown. You know, who does that honor get to be uh, passed to now? I was looking over, you know, some of the rankings and noticed, you know, some big names. We had Fleetwood at 43 in the world, Will Zalatoris at 29, and uh, Cameron Tringali at 51. Or do we feel like there's anybody else out there that maybe is more suited now for that title? Who do we think? So these are guys that have not won on the PGA Tour. Correct. PGA Tour specifically. I don't think any of them have majors either, but certainly Fleetwood has his his European wins. Fleetwood's got a bunch of top tens in majors too, right? Oh, I mean... Top five. I think probably probably speaking to the point, right? I mean, the guy's a stud. I I guess he has a lot of European Tour wins, so I'm surprised to see him on that list. I mean, all three of these guys you're mentioning, um, I kind of all envision actually a topic we're going to bring up later in in, in the podcast, but... They're all kind of struggle putting sometimes. Like all three of these guys hit the ball pretty well. Like Fleetwood has one of the more iconic uh, slotted swings where he drops the club in the slot and is just a like we'd say previously a great ball striker. And then Zalatoris is kind of like a lot of people are touting him as a generational talent. Um, he is still young, so uh, saying the greatest currently, I would say age has to play into that and longevity of good play. So Fleetwood, I think, takes that crown. And then Tringali, I think, is not going to win this conversation. Uh, he's not quite uh, as famous as people would think, um, but the guy's been putting up some numbers, and he's certainly getting better as his career goes on. He's been around for over a decade. I can recall my dad and I being marshals at an event at Congressional Country Club and seeing Tringali come through when he was just a youngster. I fact check me. I think he might be like a Virginia Tech grad, and I remember like being a lot. There's a lot of hype around him. Um, I don't really think he's lived up to that, but I mean the guy's probably still made quite a few million dollars on the PGA Tour. So my vote's Fleetwood. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Cameron Tringali specifically. Uh, he was 
among the top of a bunch of different lists for, you know, made the most money golfing without ever actually, you know, getting that win on tour, which kind of like speaks to that longevity you were talking about. He's just been out there forever. And he's, I think on P, on the PGA Tour's website, he said he's made like $20 million or something close to that without, yeah, without winning, which, I mean, there's a lot of money made in golf. As, you know, Kisner said, they pay a lot for 20th. So, I mean, respect to him, but I agree. I think, I think Zal Torres is my pick. You know, he just seems to be hot. He's a little younger than Fleetwood for sure. And, you know, he's, he's been around there in a lot of tournaments lately, it feels like. So that that's my pick of, you know, who's going to have that, but who's going to get that with next. I think it's a really great question because we do often hear who's the best golfer without a major. So for all of our listeners, there's four majors every year. They're the best fields. I mean, maybe five if you include the players at TPC Sawgrass. Um, but they're the best, best fields in the world, some of the best courses in the world. And then to win one uh, is definitely the highest honor in golf. But to talk about the best player without a PGA Tour win, I think is also an interesting conversation because – Fleetwood and Zalatoris are not equal because Fleetwood has probably probably close to a dozen worldwide wins and Zalatoris is still very young. But um, you know, we need to start recognizing the PGA Tour as as an entity within itself and not having a win there is is big news for Tommy Fleetwood. Nice. Okay, I think uh Tippy, you want to give us a little recap on our picks this past week? Uh we do have a, a winner in our presence. Yeah, obviously we have to start with Colin. I mean, Colin, great call with Scotty there. Um I, I know you touched on it a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. What was the one thing about Scotty? I know you hit it a little bit, but just reiterate that fact because we obviously have something to learn from you. I mean, when I'm making these picks, I like to look at how they performed last year at the same tournament. And like I said last week, Scotty played three incredible rounds of golf last year. It just kind of fell flat on the last round. And I knew that if he was able to pull, pull that together again this year, he'd be up there again with a chance to win. And sure enough, he was there and he was able to pull it out. Um, obviously, some... Some unfortunate bounces for uh, other golfers like Degala, and I mean, Scotty was just able to stay strong and and outlast the pressure and get it done. Yeah, I think it, it was really an interesting finish because we had Xander with like a a six or eight footer up the hill uh, that he missed to get into the playoff. We had Cantlay missing a short putt at the end of regulation to win. We then had uh, Scotty same same situation short putt at the end of the uh, the, uh, the end of regulation to win. Um, so Scotty outlasting everyone, just a, an awesome story. I think to that same point, uh, nobody picked him last week, but Xander Shoffley comes in second or tied third, uh, one shot off. Uh, same situation for him last year. Played great for three rounds and then just kind of fell flat toward the end. So love the ideas, Colin. Great pick. Just yeah, just a, just a quick note on Xander here. He led the field tee to green. I mean, he was striking the ball great. Putting, bottom, Five percent of the field, he really wow. struggled with the flat stick, and it just goes to show you, Scheffler having that putter hot is what made the difference this week. Yeah, I have a point that we're going to bring up later in the podcast. I don't want to spoil it, but the PGA Tour recently has has really struck down on green reading books and how detailed they can be, and they can only be really written in by the players with course knowledge, and they can't have these detailed printouts to what was previously to like the inch on greens and. You see it coming down the stretch. You see it in Xander's performance. Um, it's going to be a great topic later. Yeah, so I just want to touch on everyone's picks real, real quick. Um, we'll just go through them somewhat quickly. I'm going to go back to the top of the favorites list as we work our way down. Um, that would start with myself. Um, I had JT, Justin Thomas at plus 1,000. Um, he finished with the tide for eighth, which looks pretty good. Um, but round four, he was hot, minus five in round four. Um, really kind of struggled round two. He was only one under. So I think his finish looked better than it really was. Never really seemed like he had it throughout the week, aside from his round four finish. 
Uh, next on the list, we had Ben taking Hideki Matsuyama at plus 1,400. Ben, Hideki had a very solid week. Um, any, any thoughts you had on him? Yeah, intentionally watched him, obviously, hoping I could pull out the win and not give Colin all the kudos. But uh, Hideki had a little bit of the case of the lefts at this course. Uh, lost a couple balls in the water. Um, Hideki's swing is just its beautiful. It has tempo. But when it's just a little off, uh, he gets a little steep, and that ball starts going left. And this was a course you couldn't miss the ball left. So uh, he finishes a few shots off the pace, pretty much all attributable to balls in the water. Yeah, I mean, we have to visit this next uh Ken and Dub next on our list was Victor Hovland. Oh, Victor plus sixteen hundred missed the cut. What did you see with his early rounds? Like, what did he need to do so he could have made it to Saturday and finished out the round? This is a bad break. I'm taking him again this week, dude. Guy's gonna be this. You know, last year was the year of Morikawa. This is the year of Victor. It, it's you know, this is the wake up call he needed yeah. to really turn around the rest of his season. So I think he triples 15 in the second day, which really knocked him out of contention to make the cut. So, yeah, rough week for Ken and I, but uh, we're looking to turn the tables here this week. It's like the, the Packers lost by 30 in week one to, like, the Saints. You know, it, it's, it just happens. And then they make the NFC Championship. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. They I, I, lost in the first round of the NFC. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it happens. Yeah, whatever. I think uh, yeah, Holland had it, or Holland kind of uh, had it going there a little bit in the second round. That triple really derailed him. I think he had a bit of a tough, tar- a tough start to the tournament. Uh, this course kind of really would bare its teeth in certain areas if you're in the rough and the greens were pretty firm. But you know, tough break for you guys. I agree. Yep. And then our our last one on the list, uh, we had Tully taking Jordan Spieth at plus sixteen hundred. Honestly, somewhat of an uneventful week for Jordan. Uh, Tully didn't didn't really play great. Didn't really play poorly. Uh, any last thoughts that you have from Jordan from this past week? Uh, I, I shot him a message, and he, he told me that you know, he felt <laughs> a lot of pressure when he found out he was my favorite golfer. So I think I get Fair. I got in his head. I think it's on me. Really, expect DMs. a big comeback with him next week here at the uh, at Riviera. I mean, you can definitely be the only one here picking Jordan for screenshots. Golfer. Need screenshots of that conversation. Yeah, might not just be the only one here. Um, might just be only one on the East Coast. Um, I don't think you're getting that uh, vibe from many of us on this side of the on the country. But we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, I think this course coming up at Riviera, it's got a long list of really impressive champions. I think the the big names, the best players, really rise to the top here. Wouldn't be surprised if Jordan pulls one out. Suck it, Tyler. Nice. All right, that wraps up our uh, our waste management open picks uh, recap on the week. Congrats again, Colin. Now we'll jump into the Genesis Open, Colin's favorite tournament. All right on the on the eve of the Genesis Invitational at Riviera Country Club, Riv. What an iconic course. What a great field we got. Josh, give us some more info about the tournament this week. Yeah, so here we are. The Genesis Invitational, formerly known as the LA Open at the Riviera Country Club, classically known as the Riv, hosted this weekend by none other than the GOAT, Tiger Woods. Uh, interesting fact here, he's never won, although he did make his PGA Tour debut here in 1992 at the age of 16. I think we saw an interesting clip today. They posted him hitting range balls in his first ever tournament here. Had a smooth swing as ever at the age of 16. And so it'll be interesting to see him hosting this week. It'll be good to see him back out there as the face of golf and, and hear his thoughts on the tournament for this year. So the Genesis, 
almost plays like a major, brings in a solid field every single year. We have all members of the top 11 of the world golf rankings. Notable omissions here this week. We have Bryson DeChambeau and Harris English both quoting a hip injury. Bryson DeChambeau, I think the rumor's out there. He's never playing on the PGA Tour again, but for right now, he's saying it's an injury, so we'll see. Some notable exemptions here this week that are going to be playing. So we got a couple guys from across the pond from the DP World Tour. We have Thomas Peters, uh, Belgium International, one of the most solid players on that tour. Robert McIntyre, probably the best Scottish player out there. So a couple new faces here to see on the PGA Tour and see what they have to to offer this week. Robert McIntyre, a fellow lefty there, Dub, and an amazing golfer. Wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself uh, atop the leaderboard this week. Yeah, let's go. So some fan favorites, too, this week. We have Will Zalatoris coming out there and Ricky Fowler to round out some of the notable exemptions. So last year, 2021, local boy, California native Max Homa finishes at 12 under, defeats Tony Finau on the second playoff hole, captured his second career PGA Tour victory. Top five last year also included Sam Burns, Cam Smith, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Obviously, from that top five, this tournament really, the cream rises to the top. We're always seeing the top golfers on tour finishing up top here. Some prior results, 2020, Adam Scott finishes at 12 under. 2019, J.B. Holmes wins with 14 under. 2018, Bubba Watson at 12 under. 2017, Dustin Johnson at 17 under. All those guys, with the exception of J.B. Holmes, were, were favorites to win the tournament, so really... Long shots don't generally do well here. <clears throat> Colin, you really uh, threw us a curveball last week when you said this was your favorite tournament of the year. So why don't you fill us in on on what this means to you and, and why it's your favorite? Yeah, thanks, Dub. To me, it comes down to three main factors. So you already touched on the field. We got some big names always in the field. Um, we had Homa winning last year, Scott winning two years ago, DJ, Bubba, I mean, my favorite player, Rory McIlroy, is going to be there in town this week. Ooh, ooh. Um, so, it, I mean, it, all, it always seems to produce a nice champion, and it's just a strong field every single year. Um, secondly, the course is just incredible. Riviera has some absolutely iconic holes right out of the gate, that par five that's just straight down the hill, a must birdie, especially in the last round. You've got the number six, the par three, that just has a bunker in the middle of the green. I mean, how many times do you see that? Hardly ever on tour. Um, number 10, we talked about it last week, but just short par four with plenty of decisions to be made starting off the tee. It can be the easiest hole for some of these guys or the hardest hole based on how they play that. And then finally, the 18th, straight uphill dog leg right, such a demanding finishing hole and um, usually comes down to that hole on, on Sunday. And then third factor, this is honestly my favorite time to watch golf out of the year. I mean, it's February. The groundhog has already seen his shadow, maybe hasn't seen his shadow, but we're ready to go over here to just get on the Itching. course and play some golf. And just watching these guys play this ridiculous course on TV really feeds that excitement. So, Our first weekend without football, so it's nice to have something like this to fall back on here agreed. this weekend. Absolutely. So, I mean, I'll be watching this week. I'm sure we'll all be watching this week, and those that's just why it's my favorite tournament of the year. It's really an amazingly outstanding field. Like outside of majors, you just don't see this. The majors and players, um, 
I guess a couple comments. I, I'm really this course has just lasted the task of time. For being an inner city course, you rarely see the ability to expand tees and make it long enough to still be as challenging of a course as it is. Uh, quick thought on Max Homa, like LA boy, this was such a big win for his career. He talks about growing up here, coming to this course, watching guys win. Um, and, and, and how much it meant uh, for his family to win this tournament and everyone to be there. Um, another quick note, this is an interesting, uh, as you mentioned, the past winners, uh, when Adam Scott won this tournament in 2019, uh, this was kind of coming in to the COVID changes. And, and Adam Scott got to like something like top six in the world at that point in a bit of a renaissance of his career. So um, he's been playing some good golf. I recently heard him uh, on another podcast talking about getting his travel arrangements in place and how it's been a lot easier to travel internationally. He's now living uh, somewhere in like Scandinavia for his kids to go to better schools, not spending as much time in Australia. So look out for him this week as well. Yeah. Another interesting note, the uh, 2028 Olympics summer Olympics being hosted in LA Riviera is going to host that. Nice. So Riviera will be on the world showcase here in another six years. The next time we see the summer Olympics here in the U S so, yeah, the course, Riviera Country Club, the Riv, par 71. We're looking at about 7,300 yards, three par fives. As Colin said, we start off the round with a very gettable par five. you got to make birdie to open your round. George Thomas designed this, 1927, came from the East Coast out to the West Coast to do a couple notable designs here. He inherited a very uninspiring plot of land where – there wasn't much natural landscape or anything like that. And and really, he was focused on just very natural hole designs that test the, the strategy of the, the golfer. So, yeah, this, this has really stood the test of time. Very few renovations over the year. You know, with all the advances in equipment and distance and everything, there really hasn't been much done. And this still proves to be one of the most difficult courses to play on the tour. So it's very interesting. And, and again, another reason why the top players in the world come here. Colin mentioned the iconic 10th hole, a very short drivable par four. It really set the stage for the modern drivable par four. And a lot of designers and courses have copied that design going forward. I think an interesting comment there, Dub, about the scoring. I think this is a, a back-to-back week for tournaments that maybe don't, uh, don't tip the scale in popularity, but probably should. And then difficulty as well. I mean, 16 under last week, we're seeing scores from this tournament, uh, the Genesis Invitational for the past few years at 12 under, 14 under, 12 under, peaking out at 17 under. We've seen plenty of tournaments in the past year go even into the the low 30s when they were in Hawaii. So really a, a great course and a tough, a tough task. Yeah, so some of the buzzwords we're going to hear on the broadcast this weekend. You got Kikuyu Fairways and Rough. That's the grass that makes them up, very similar to Tory Pines. Fairways are going to generate perfect lies that allow the players to generate a ton of spin out of them. It'll it'll create a lot of very unpredictable bounces around the green. You don't know the ball's not going to roll out, so when you're trying to make it up on those long par 5s, you're going to have a lot of work to do cuz you don't know where the ball's going to bounce once it gets up there. In the rough you got a couple diff- very different scenarios. The ball's either going to sit way up and you you could get some flyers out of the rough or it's going to bed down and you're going to have to hack out of there. So it'll be interesting to see these players navigate a grass that they're not really used to seeing on tour here. And then the greens, Poa and Nua, very firm, very fast, and they're noted for 
getting very bumpy later in the day, similar to what we see at Pebble Beach. Tiger Woods, very outspoken about his dislike of the Poa Nua Greens, probably a big reason he hasn't been very successful here. The Riv, very classic country club style, a lot of trees, narrow fairways. These players are going to have a lot of trouble hitting the fairways. I think we see less than 50% on average driving accuracy, which is well under the tour average. But missing the fairway isn't going to be that big of a penalty for these guys. So driving distance still going to be a critical factor to be able to cut these dog legs, drive it over some of these bunkers, and have short clubs into some of these longer greens. Yeah, I think about like that first fairway you're talking about. So that's a par five uh, in the you know 550 range, but the tee is elevated something like 60 feet above the fairway. It's only about a 30-yard wide fairway. And I don't know about you guys, but when you play tee boxes that are elevated, the fairway always seems smaller too because your ball's in the air longer. Uh, definitely a tough driving course. The fairway always looks pretty small to me, Ben. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of hard to hit. Fair, fair. Yeah, so very firm, very undulated greens that are going to test the player's ability around them. I think generally this course holds up very well and can show its teeth as long as we don't see any rain. Check the forecast for the Pacific Palisades. Not seeing any rain, so this course is going to play firm, going to play fast. Nice. So it'll be a very major championship-style type tournament. So it'll be interesting to see these guys out there. And there's really there's nowhere to hide. This tests every asset of your game. you got to be able to putt. you got to be able to get up and down. you got to be able to scramble. So... That's why this course generally leads to the top players rising to the top because it tests all areas of your game. And if you're not on in certain areas, you're not going to be able to navigate this course very well. I think you see that in the winners, the past winners. I mean, I think that Adam Scott is often referred to as a mediocre putter, but when he gets hot, all aspects of his game are very solid. Um, Bubba, although he's really mostly known for how far he drives the golf ball. He has that lefty Phil Mickelson creativity around the green. And then I think a young golfer in Max Homa is really showing that he's got a really well-rounded game. And these are the type of courses that you're just not going to win at if you don't do everything well. Yeah. Well said there, Ben. So spotlight this week. I want to just bring up a guy, the late Charlie Sifford. He was the tournament victor legend. He was the tournament victor here in 1969, but he's best known for being the Jackie Robinson of golf. So he integrated the game in around 1961 and became the first African-American to play on the PGA Tour when he forced the tour to remove their Caucasian-only clause. So really a ground-breaking guy for the, the tour and paved the way for guys like Tiger Woods, who's been very vocal about how much this man meant for his journey and the reason his dad got into the game, which led him into the game. So a very notable figure here and something very interesting about this tournament since 2009, they created the Charlie Sifford Memorial exemption, which has been the tours and the tournaments attempt to advance the diversity of the game. And so this exemption has been given to the, a golfer with a minority background to be able to play in this prestigious PGA tour event. Some notable guys, Cam Champ was a former exemption recipient, and he went on to win on the PGA Tour, and so it's it's pretty cool to see a guy like that get a start through an exemption like this and then carry on to be a relevant guy on the PGA Tour. So this year, we're going to see Aaron Beverly competing in his first ever PGA Tour event as the 2022 Sifford Exemption Entry, 27-year-old California native. Plays on the Advocates Pro Golf Association, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do with his opportunity this week. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Sifford is just 
a trailblazer. He's what makes us love the game of golf and how inclusive we want it to be. Um, actually, for anyone that's that's traveling to the President's Cup this year, which I know the, a, a lot of us are going to be in September Woo! in Charlotte, Charlie Sifford has actually a bunch of courses down there that really appeal to to breaking down barriers. It's a, it's really inexpensive to play. The courses are in great condition, and you'll see a great variety of golfers down there. So to be able to talk about Charlie and then him be a spotlight of this tournament is just amazing. Nice. Cool. I guess that wraps up our summary for the Genesis Open. Let's move on to Tippy or Tyler here to give us our, our picks and best odds of the week. For sure, yeah, let's start off. We're just going to look through the favorites of the tournament. Um, we're just going to go through the top 10 favorites here in order just to give everybody a gauge of what we're looking at and who, kind of like what Dub was saying, favorites are always rising to the top here. So it's very likely you're going to see these guys, maybe all 10 of them, rounding out our top 10 this week. So we're going to start off with John Rahm at the top. He is our favorite at plus 950. Uh, that means if you bet $100 on John Rahm to win, you would win $950. Uh, we're going to just run down the list. Next is Patrick Cantlay at plus 1,200. Justin Thomas at plus 1,400. Then we've got Dustin Johnson at plus 1,600. Colin Morikawa, that's Colin with two L's, uh, <laughs> plus 2,000. Then we got Rory, Rory McIlroy at plus 2,000. The kid. Followed by Ben's boy Hideki Matsuyama at plus 2,000. Xander Shoffley at plus 2,200. Cameron Smith at plus 2,200. And rounding out the top 10 for this week is Victor Hovland at plus 2,700. Uh, so just want to run through the boys' picks this week. We are going to start with Colin. Colin is on the list, uh, highest up. He is really feeling Dustin Johnson this week. So reigning champion after his Scotty pick last week. So let's hear. Are we going to go two in a row? What do you got about Dustin? Yeah, well, you know... Uh after a, an absolutely amazing pick last week, Scott. Oh, all right, on. all right. Let's be come modest. Yeah. I'm going to take one of the, the higher favorites here, DJ. He hasn't played a ton of golf after a relatively down year in, for his standards last year. But uh, his first big event back, top 25 at the Farmers Insurance Open, he's got that, that new tailor-made stealth in hand, which he's absolutely piping down the middle of the fairway. And he's won once and has two runner-ups here at Riviera just since 2014. So uh, I think he's a great pick here. You can never go wrong with DJ there. Um, going, going down the list next, we've got Ben. Ben is really feeling Rory this week. Uh, what kind of drew you hit, drew you into Rory? Obviously, we know how talented he is, but what makes you feel good about him this week? Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably the best driver of the golf ball in the world. This course create also uh, needs a lot of great creativity. And then, although Rory doesn't get a lot of recognition for his short game and putting, because I think he can get a little hot and cold, um, the guy really is elite in both of those categories. So I like him pulling it out this week. All right, awesome. Yeah, next next on our list here, we've got Tully. Tully is feeling Xander Shoffley at plus 2,200. Had a pretty solid week last week. Just kind of faltered a little bit round four. But what, what are you thinking for this week here, Tully? I mean, I think Xander's a great value. You know, number seven golfer in the world, plus 2,200. You know, 10 bucks gives you 220 bucks. You know, can't, can't hate that. You know, he has been playing solid lately. You know, tied third at uh, Waste Management, tied 34th, and then tied 12th in the three PGA Tour events he's played so far this year. Um, in the last couple of years at Riviera, tie 15, tie 23. So he, he's always kind of around. And I know it's a it's a phrase and a term we've used a, a lot in historically, but this year he's top 15 as a ball striker, which after uh, doing some research for our oh, yeah. uh, uh, our many, many listeners. This is for you, Bones. Yeah, this is just for just for Bones. Ball striker. Uh, you know, ball striking for those who aren't aware. You know, it's basically a PGA Tour's measurement of driving accuracy, driving distance, and greens in regulation. 
So, you know, he's top 15 there, and this course definitely rewards that accuracy. So I think, you know, he gets that putting in line that, you know, he wasn't great last week there. So if he gets that in line this week, I think he's got a good shot. Hey, Tully, real quick, can you just explain to everybody what uh, green and regulation means? So in on your typical hole, we'll say a par four, that's the you know, most common, uh, you're expected to get on the green in two if you're going to get par. So it's two shots to get on the green, two putts to get in the hole, and that's par. All right, awesome. Thanks for that explanation. Um, next on our list, I don't know how I feel about this because after we saw last week, whenever we saw two guys on the same golfer, we saw Victor miss the cut. Uh, this week, we do have myself and Dub both on Cameron Smith. Uh, just my thoughts on him real quick. Just so far early in the season on tour, he's number one in scoring average, meaning he is averaging the lowest score uh, per round compared to all other golfers. Um, he's also fifth in greens and regulation this year. Um, so kind of how Dub was explaining the, the course this week, uh, you're going to be throwing it on there. They're firm, but you got to hit them. If you're hitting them, you're going to be in, in the game. You're going to be putting. Um, that's just one of the really reasons why I'm really liking Cameron Smith this week. Um, then, Dub, what are some of your thoughts on why you picked him? Yeah, pretty much everything you're saying. I mean, he's got a great, great course record here, fourth place last year. This course really demands every area of your game. He's probably a top three, top five guy when it comes to most well-rounded players on tour. Really no weaknesses. Going to play really well this week. He's got one of the best short games on tour, so this course really demands that. And additionally, you know, my word of the week, Kikuyu. He's from Australia. They play this type of grass all the time. He's used to playing it. It's going to be second nature to him playing out of this grass. A real advantage for him this week. So we'll see what he does. All right. And to round out the picks for this week, Ken, I, I kind of thought you would learn after last week, but you're going back to it. Back to going me. back. More to value. Point. More value. More value <laughs> this week at plus $2,700. $100 would win you $2,700. You're going back to Victor Hovland. What, what's the reasoning behind that? Pure gut check here. Our guy went to the Grand Canyon this week on his Instagram three days ago. Saw a wonder of the world. What research? My God. <laughs> Guy's probably just just lit from the Grand Canyon. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's a, it, I think it means something. I think he's refreshed, took the weekend off. He's ready to bounce back. He's a world number four. Great value for the world number four at 2,700. I mean, he finished last year fifth Riviera, so he's used to the course. Um, loving Vic. I'm, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna double down. Double down. All right. I'm okay with that. Yeah, double down. I mean, you can't go wrong with Vic. He's such a solid player. Yeah. Um, just wanted to touch on a few other notable players this week. Um, we're considering them our long shots. Uh, two guys I want to focus on myself. Uh, first being Taylor Gooch. Uh, we saw him last week for the first few rounds. He was he was playing great at the waste management. Uh, kind of blew up round four. Uh, he was four over par, um, really kind of made his finish look a little bit worse with a tied for 26th. But he's historically played pretty well here. Um, in 2020, he finished with a tied for 10th. Uh, last year, he finished with a tied for 12th. Just with how good he's been playing recently and his history here, I, I really think he has good odds here at plus 5,500. Um, the other guy that I'm really looking at this week, bit of a wild card, uh, would be Troy Merritt. Um, he's always a guy I would always throw in my DraftKings lineup as my sixth golfer who, when he gets hot, he can go stupid low. Um, emphasis on when he gets hot. He is not always hot. But if we're looking at him recently, uh, we had a tie for fourth at Pebble, um, tie for 38th at, 38th at the Waste Management. Um, hasn't won since the 2017-2018 season at the Barbasol Classic, uh, but he, he's really looking good here. Are we on the start of a hot streak? I sure hope so. 
Troy Merritt's plus 13,000. So bet $100, win $1,300. So that is, or 13,000, excuse me. So that is unbelievable odds for a guy that could get hot and win it. Um, any other, other boys here have any uh, guys outside the top 10 that we were really on, focusing on that could go on a run? Well, just a quick comment too about Troy. I, mean, I get to watch him a lot at Pebble. I don't. I think I was watching someone in his group, and he was being really aggressive. So I think that some of his hot finishes, T four, T thirty eight. I think they're probably related to him being aggressive. He's not the longest guy on tour, not the best driver on tour. So we haven't quite gotten to a course where driving is absolutely necessary. But I like the pick tip. How do you not look at Bubba here? He's a three time champion at plus forty one hundred. I mean, the guy clearly knows how to play this course. He's going to sling it left, right, up, down, all over this place. He's He knows how to win. He's going to make a ton of birdies. I mean, at plus 4,100, you don't even need to take him to win. You can just take him top 10, top 20, and still get decent value. So I'm looking at Bubba for sure. Yeah, I think when, when I make my pick on Rory, I see a lot of similar traits in Bubba, maybe just with not quite the firepower, but, you know, hitting the ball high, hitting it a lot of left, a lot of right, working the course, and then Bubba too, not touted for his short game and putting, but when he gets hot, that little right heel off the ground with his putter, he can roll him in. And he's going to be rocking those Air Jordan one. Oh, it's so fresh. Hey, Tully, you had any thoughts you had there? Yeah, I really just had a question here for Ben. You know, you were telling us last week, uh, not outside of the pod, that you know you've been riding to Hith a lot this year, and then didn't didn't hop on him uh, last week when he really got in contention. He's at plus one or plus ten thousand. You know, half of what he was last week. Do you you're going to hop on this week? Try to get on that train. You know, I think that the reason I didn't pick Sahith last week, although I had been streaming him off season, is that like there is a bit of a learning curve at some of these courses, and uh, the Western swing for Sahith was really friendly to him because of going to Pepperdine, growing up in California. I uh, wasn't surprised by any of those finishes, um, but I think a course like Riviera, I'm not sure how much he's gotten to play it, and I think that uh, you know he is a. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't. I don't know if I consider his game as well rounded as I'd like to see it. I think his short game might. Might end up being a, a problem here. Uh, his putting is great, but I'm just not sure he can pull it through. Yeah, I don't know what this want this to become a Sahith podcast, but one thing I just noticed from him last week was his uh, just the body language of some of his shots. Even when he was good hitting good shots, the shoulders drop immediately. Like he's putting it to 15 feet, and he's expecting it to be to three feet. Um, he's playing like me out there sometimes with the club throw. I think I saw the club fall out of his hands maybe five <laughs> or six times last week. Um, not sure if that's his normal habit. Like we said, this is really the first time we're seeing him on the main stage. But, I mean, he played well last week. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him up there again. I think it's certainly a good observation. And, and maybe even like uh, – uh, maybe that you know only great players do that. Guys like Hideki, right, hitting that wedge to 10 feet and dropping the club, and you're thinking he shanked it. So – I don't know. You, you might be into something there, Tip. Maybe he's he's going to be as good as he looked. Maybe he really will live up to the hype. What I think is interesting there, if you if you want to get on that, maybe not quite ready to win, but but ready to you know maybe perform on some of these bigger stages. Plus eight fifty uh, to finish top ten. You know, it's a pretty drastic drop and from plus ten thousand or. But, you know, clearly they think he, he's got some potential to do some things there, so maybe worth looking at. Yeah, I think a pretty big emotional week for him, so I wouldn't be too hot on him, but uh, congrats to Sahith. What a great week, and he's got a lot of, a lot of great golf to come in his career. Yep. Yeah, and just to kind of wrap everything up, I think we all feel pretty confident with our picks here in our favorite section. Um, sorry, Ken, maybe not Ken with the back-to-back -back Victor <laughs> picks. Not, not really well, sure about that, but I mean... Words. Just, just wait till next just, week. Yeah, ride it, man. Just I'm, I'm okay with it. Victor went to the Grand King, and he's refreshed. Nice. Great, great segment, guys. Looking forward to a good week. Let's jump into a one-off question here with Tully. Uh, what's the most important club in the bag?
So I guess when you think about the most important club in the bag, you really got two buckets here. You got the pros, and then you got us. Let's start with the pros. Telly, what's the most important club in the pros bag, and then let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes down to golf in general, you know, you make it as simple as possible. The most important club you would think is going to be the putter. Uh, as we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, greens regulation. You hit the green, you're supposed to two, you know, two putt. That's par. So that on a you know average seventy two hole cor- you know par course, that's thirty six of your shots. Half of your shots are supposed to be the putter. But you know, when you look at the numbers, it, it kind of may show some different things. You know, we kind of looked at, dug in a little bit, looking at the stats from the past year, and it, it showed a lot of interesting information. I mean, when you really kind of look at it. To be on the PGA Tour, you just have to overall be a great putter. And then the fact of the matter then is that they're all really, really good. And I kind of pulled some numbers, you know, just looking at it on, you know, average, just once once they're on the green and then putting, the Tour average, you know, versus the number one ranked player, um, John Rahm, last year, there's only a two birdie difference from strictly just putting, birdie, eagle, whatever it is, roughly speaking, over the course of a 72-hole tournament. So John Rahm's only getting two more birdie opportunities on average than the than the, the guy who just barely makes the cut. Correct, yeah. And just in terms of strictly, we're not, we're not looking at, oh, he chipped in or something like that or the benefit of being an, e, you know, an eagle over the birdie, whatever it is. But once he's on the green in terms of one putting and getting it in, it's only about like two more you know strokes he's really gaining in that sense. So when Victor Hovland wins this week and he shoots... 16 under and then the guy who made the cut finishes the week at four under we know that victor's only really realistically had on average two more opportunities at birdie but he made 14 more if not more than that with offsetting bogeys yeah you take away yeah obviously this not looking at bogeys or anything like that and this is ken not really paying attention he's (laughs) looking at pictures of the grand canyon on his phone (laughs) him and Vic. he's really channeling his inner victor hovland why you call me up bro (laughs) i think that's a great stat telly i think great great research there um, I too agree that putting is as absolutely crucial. All these guys are amazing putters. Something in that category that I wonder is we talked about it earlier is how is it going to evolve uh, taking green reading books out or making green reading books so that players can only have a piece of paper that they've written notes on and have ideas about how putts are going to break to certain pin locations uh, versus previously uh, roughly for the past 20 years. They've had sheets print out uh, for each green that shows the break to just about every inch on the green. I think we talked about last week seeing a lot of key putts toward the end of the round being missed that Xander properly just misread that putt. That was an eight-footer. He aimed a ball right, and it went a ball right, not left. So um, putting is crucial. I don't think it's a counter-argument, but I think that my research kind of shows that the largest variance for all these categories between driving the golf ball, hitting the ball into the green, chipping around the green and then putting is driving. Uh, the guys that drive the ball well pick up more shots on the average golfer within a tournament than any other category. Um, Bryson's picking up over a shot around on the average golfer. So four, four shots a tournament that Bryson's picking up. Uh, when you look at putting, it's something more like uh, half a stroke around. Uh, so we're talking very, you know, very small numbers here, but uh, my pick is driver. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really what it, it my numbers also kind of come to the same conclusion that it's it's about getting the chance to have the have the birdie opportunity. It's about putting yourself in the best position to get a shot that's going to put you closer to the pin that you can have better look at a one putt. You know, a lot of people can get a green regulation, you know, from 
you know, out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, they're in the rough. Somehow they managed to get onto the, you know, some of those bigger greens. But, you know, how often do you really see someone rolling in a 50-foot putt? You know, versus if you put yourself in the middle of the fairway, you know, 150 yards out, these guys, they're rarely missing the green. I feel like they really expect to hit the green, which is what kind of sets them apart from a lot of us. Yeah, the the distance off the tee, like Ben just said, is is really just changed the game because when you're talking about adding an extra 15 to 20 yards on your shot off the tee, you're taking completely out of play certain bunkers, certain hazards that were put there to be a landing zone. You're taking them completely out of play, and so you're just you're gaining a stroke just there on the on the distance alone. Plus, you don't even have to be that accurate because if you're hitting the ball that far you you have a 20 25 yard advantage on most of the other players hitting a wedge out of the rough is probably a lot easier at most of these courses that the players play than hitting a eight iron out of the fairway i mean you just have such an advantage you're hitting wedges into these greens even out of the rough and it just makes such a big difference yeah just one of the things i think about it and i'm not looking at it nearly as much with the numbers is why i think the driver is the most important is because I think that helps prevent your blow-up holes. Uh, we saw it some with uh, some guys last week, um, but when you're pulling your drives and you're getting in trouble, you're putting your drives in the water, or maybe this is more our types of rounds, but when you're pulling your drive behind a tree and you're having to punch out, you're, you're already blowing up. You might not be gaining strokes on the field, but you could lose a chunk of strokes if you're not accurate with the driver. And I, I think that plays a huge part. And if you're, if you're going to win a tournament... You need to be hot with your driver, and you're yeah. You can gain some strokes with your putter, but if you if you're not running into those situations where you're hitting your getting your double bogey or triple bogey and kind of pulling you out of contention, I think having that driver consistently in play is probably to me the most important part. Yeah, those are all good points, but I think when you talk about the most important club in your bag, your putter is your last line of defense. I mean, you talk about losing the ball. And, and getting penalty strokes, but at the end of the day, you're still going to have to put it on the green and hit one or make one or two putt to avoid that huge number. I mean, I, when I look at these stats, I, I like to... I, Colin Morikawa's season last year, I think, is an interesting case because if you look to the strokes gained stats, strokes gained total, he was 178th um, in strokes gained total. Uh, or sorry. Strokes gained putting. Right, right, strokes right. gained putting. But he had two wins last year. When you look at those two wins, he won the world, the WGC event at concession. He was top ten strokes gained putting there. Um, they don't have. The, I couldn't find the strokes gained putting stats for the Open Championship. But when you talk about strokes, or sorry, putts per hole, he was tied second there when he won the Open Championship last year. And then early this year, his victory at the Zozo, he was top ten again in strokes gained putting. So um, it's a good point that all these guys are really good at putting. You have to be really good at putting on tour. But that that very fine line. Um, when you're able to like putt well in that week, that's when you're going to have a chance to win. I think that you know that's an interesting point, and I think to me what that shows is that you know putting on any given day or any given tournament maybe is a is a big difference maker in terms of who wins. But in terms of like consistency, say like top tens, top fives, you know whatever it is, you know I think it it shows also that you know you know just that consistency every every other aspect of the game maybe plays even a bigger role. Yeah, it's really interesting. You look at a guy like Justin Thomas. I mean, he's arguably the best ball striker in the world consistently. I mean, John Rahm certainly right there, but he's in he's in such a great form, but the putter is just ice cold for him. So, yeah, he's churning out some pretty consistent top 10s, but 
the victories are eluding him right now. And, and when we saw him went, go on a run a couple years back, win a couple majors, win a lot of tournaments, it's because that putter kind of heated up a little bit. And that that's what made the difference, took him from just consistent top tens to being able to compete consistently for victories. Yeah, I think um, something we're not going to talk about because it's, you know, we kind of have two different chains of thought here is what do you need to do best to win? And then what do you need to do best to continually improve and, and remain high on the world ranking? And I think that being good off the tee cements your spot in a top 50, top 100 in the world. Uh, when you're driving the ball well, you're usually playing these courses really well because uh, these guys' games are just so stacked. But to win on the PGA Tour from week to week, you're not going to find too many guys outside of the top 20, top 30 in putting for that week, no matter how well they hit the ball. But something we're really not going to talk about uh, enough is strokes gained approach or how well these guys are hitting irons into the green. Um, I think in the similar argument that they're all just so good at it. Uh, but when you go to a PGA Tour event, it's clear that that's really what separates them. Um, we can have good days where we putt well. We can have good days where we're hitting the ball long and straight. But we quite literally will never be as consistent as these guys are from 190 with a six iron. It's uncanny. I can't hit my six iron in 190, so you're right. <laughs> Distance-wise or straight-wise. Nice. Okay, so I think that kind of you know, that wraps up our thoughts on the PGA Tour players. We got driver and putter. Uh, you take your pick. Now let's uh, let's chat about our games. We're going to give you a look into what's our handicap, what part of our game is absolutely necessary for us to score well. Uh, you want to start us off, Dub? Yeah, sure. I'll lead us off here. I think I want to say putter just because, you know, as Colin said, it's your last line of defense. It's what prevents big numbers. But for me, my game boils down to the driver. I think I carry a pretty significant advantage off the tee with distance. So if I'm driving the ball well, if I'm keeping it in play, frankly, that's considered a fairway for me as far as I'm concerned. And it gives me a lot of wedges in the greens where there's plenty of margin of error that I don't have to hit a great shot and I'm still in the green putting. So I'm going to have to say driver here. Yeah, I think the, the the bogey avoidance idea in an amateur's game is critical. Like if you're if you're giving up too many penalty strokes in a round, you're just simply not going to score well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think when I think about my game too, like if I'm not hitting it all over the place, I'm probably scoring pretty well. I'd like to think there are other more important parts of my game, but when I'm driving the ball well, my ceiling is a lot lower. I can't quite shoot as bad. I agree. Yeah, and particularly speaking of Dub's game, you know, even though when you do spray it, you get great lies in the fairways that are three holes over. Yeah, when you're fluffing I've it seen, up too. I've seen you hit hit the hit the green on a par five from you know two fairways away. So you've got the opportunity. Yeah, one of the things just to talk about Dub a little bit more is. He neglected to say it at the beginning, but he's like a one or two handicap. So when he's saying he's just trying yeah, to what keep, are we downplaying? He's trying to say he's just trying to keep his ball ridiculous. in play. His ball's three twenty out there, and he's just trying to hit a wedge in. So don't let yeah, don't let him downplay it when he's just trying to keep his ball yeah. in play. He's a hundred out, too and humble, he, and he's in great shape. Too humble. Yeah, I mean, my most elite category is probably the ability to play out of other fairways. I mean, if we can talk about strokes gain playing from two holes over, I'm right up there competing with these guys on tour. Nice. Uh, Tippy, Tyler, what are your thoughts on the most important part of your game? Yeah, so my game's interesting. Uh, I said it at the beginning. It, it, it's got to be the most boring game you, you could see. Um, Colin, what's your handicap? One worse than yours. Uh, <laughs> shoot. So, all right. So, if that's the case, we'll, we'll call me a 13 handicap. Um, so, for me, I, I feel like everyone's expecting me to say driver just because everyone always jokes how consistent I am, but it's going 240. Um, but I, I really don't think that's 
how I score the best. Um, for me, I think my most important club, and I think I might get some laughs, might be my 56 degree. <laughs> what, what I was saying earlier is, yeah. <laughs> He's a he is a good day. chipper. He is a good yeah. chipper. But, but, but yeah, to, to that point, though, is when, when I'm playing well and scoring well, yeah, my, my drives are somewhere near the fairway, but it's my approach shots that I'm maybe just missing the green. Or if I occasionally get on there, yeah, I can two-putt from there and take a par. But when I score well, it's when I'm starting to creep down closer into the low 80s, and that's because I'm chipping and one putting. Um, for me to score well, it's I got to put my my shots that don't quite make it to the green. I got to put it there within five to eight feet, and then make that one putt. So what I'm hearing here is that distance might be your problem. Distance is a big problem. <laughs> it's a shoulder thing. He's gonna have surgery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to get surgery, so I can continue to use that excuse for another few years. <laughs> yeah, 29 years old and have a bum shoulder already, so that's not not really great for my game. I think you uh, you make a good comment, and it's a bit of a hum- you know yourself humiliating here because like most people need to realize like how many greens are you hitting in a round? It, well, I'm saying it's very humiliating for you to admit that it's a uh, a pro at his best is probably hitting 12 to 14 greens around. Us amateurs are probably only hitting two to eight greens around. So you got I'm definitely leaning to <laughs> double digits, 12, you know, 10 to 16 times you're chipping and trying to get up and down. So how well you do that? I mean, that's that's six, eight shots around if you're chipping well. Yeah, I mean, playing matches against Tippy is just so frustrating because he hardly gets into trouble. He's always giving him opportunities to make an up and down for par. So if, like he said, if he's got that 56-degree hot, you're going to have to make birdies to beat him because he's always going to have really good looks at par around the green. Yeah, a terrible guy to play uh, when you're playing strokes to give and match play situations. You just you can't make too many mistakes. Agreed. Just stop it, a terrible guy. <laughs> terrible body to play. Don't play me, boy. <laughs> You'll lose money. All right, Tully, what's the most important part of your game? For me, I got to go with the driver. I mean, much like my boy Jordan Spieth, I like to yell at myself and get you're my a head own case. Head. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a head case. I, I didn't want to insult him like that. <laughs> I, I think it's a compliment. You know, you're thinking, you're actively, you know, thinking about what you're doing. But, you know, if it starts off the tee for me, and if, if I'm spraying it everywhere, I'm thinking way too much. I start losing the balls. I start trying to, you know, overcompensate and, you know, try to you know, hit farther, hit hit questionable shots. You know, like I mentioned in the first podcast, you know, ignorantly optimistic about my game. So, you know, I always think I'm going to be able to squeeze it through the, that tight gap and get through the trees, but then I just get stuck in the trees for three more shots. So, you know, if I'm keeping that, that, that ball in play off the tee, using that driver, getting down there, you know, I'm not the longest player on the pod, but, you know, I, I can hit it out there a decent way. So, you know, if I'm in the fairway, I've got a chance, and, you know, I'm, the amount of three putts aren't too, too crazy, so I'm feeling more comfortable there. Yeah, Telly, I'm, re- I'm really surprised you didn't kind of go my route and pick the 60-degree because I've never seen somebody hit more flop shots from the fringe that might go to four feet. To all the greenskeepers out there, it wasn't Tully. The question was not, what is your favorite club in the oh, bag, your okay, favorite okay, shot? What's okay. the most important club? <laughs> yeah, It's important the- to my round because I love watching it. They're beautiful. So uh, for Tully and Dub, who have now mentioned driver is the most important club in their bag, like at what point do you just say it's the third or the fourth hole and you're just, driver's going back in the bag, we're hitting hybrid, we're hitting iron. Explain that to us. Absolutely never. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's swing away every it's, time. It's, it's big that, players for a reason. It's that next hole mentality. This whole this is going to be when I figure it all out and it starts going straight. So if I give up and switch to a three iron or something off the tee, I'm never going to realize that, you know, turn around in my game. So it just it, one word to describe your game might be ignorantly optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> one word. Nice. It's cool. hyphenated, all right? Yeah. 
All right, so we got two drivers. We got the green side wedge. Colin, what's your most important club? Yeah, if I'm being honest, my most important club is the putter by far. Boo! I'm not the longest player. I'm probably the shortest player here, honestly. And I know I'm going to lose some off the tee, so like I said, that putter's my last line of defense. If I have confidence, I know I'm going to hit it from six feet and in, then my score is really going to improve. But close second, I have to say, my 60-degree wedge, mainly because last year I had the absolute shanks. Uh, these guys saw me put four, oh, four straight right watch. into the woods That was from playing around with your out. dad, and I think he might have adopted me that day because he could never look oh at that. Oh, my God. That Mike, was, if you're listening, we're working on that this offseason. His attitude's gotten a ton better. Any tips, please send them our way because I need them with my 60-degree wedge. Yeah, I think, Colin, you're one of the best putters I know, and when you're putting well, you can't shoot much higher than 83. I mean, your ball striking is pretty consistent, so I can see why you went with putter there. Shout out to his former history teacher for uh, giving him a putter. Oh, you loop. Yeah. Yeah, Scotty. Colin's rocking like a 20, 2008 Scotty nap. Oh, man. Long neck, beautiful, not a scuff on it. Nice. Thanks, Colin. All right, Kenny, what's your favorite club? What's the most important for your scoring? I'm big wood guy. Three five big wood. wood. <laughs> I, I hit my driver like once around, if that. Um, let me walk you through the perfect double bogey on a par four. <laughs> now, what's wood. your handicap again? I I play around twenty five, twenty eight. You know, uh, handicap. That's a big fair, gap. It's fair. Yeah. Um, what was this? Okay, <laughs> perfect double bogey. Oh yes, three wood, three wood, wedge, putt, putt, putt. <laughs> That's one, two, three, four. Yeah, that was six. Yeah, yeah, math, yeah, math checks. I I just try to limit the spin off the uh, off the driver. Yeah, just you know, nice simple three wood or five wood, depending on what the whole. I'm actually, if I get like a long par three, I'll just take a five at like seventy five percent and just kind of put it up there. Define, really, just a logical. Can you define illogical. long par three for us? Like college, college par three? Par three. <laughs> or two hundred. I mean, only a few of us would understand what that is. I do like. I do. Honorable mention. I do like a two iron out of the woods. <laughs> You have like a Greg hey, Norman 1967. Where, 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 where'd you get that two iron? <laughs> that, that wasn't a dumpster club. We'll do uh, a whole pot of the dumpster club sometime. How many of but, your clubs have you actually paid for? Well, um, Tyler. How many of his clubs have I paid for? Tyler got me a set of Cleveland irons from an auction for $20. Uh, you gave me a 60 degree that had a, uh, a little notch in it that I used. And I lost. I lost that. You lost that one too? Yeah. Irons are actually, um, yeah, CG7s with the zip grooves. Really pretty irons. I too. used to have the Cleveland driver from Tyler. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you've gotten two drivers. Cleveland from, Steamer, yeah. the big one. With the <laughs> Cleveland <orange> Steamer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. do, you, do you remember how that one um, broke? Um, I uh, got run over by a truck. No, 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 no. no, no. That, that, that one. That one. That one. I, I, I tried to. Uh, I, threw a ball, I threw a ball up in the air at Glade on 17, and I hit it, and the head just flew right at, into the corner. It was like, excellent ball, ball striking. Yeah, by when he said he threw it up, it was yeah. throw it up and hit it like a baseball. And I've never seen such good <laughs> contact by someone doing it, but I don't know when further the ball or the club hit. This is really devolved, hasn't it? <laughs> um, and then my yeah, some of my clubs got ran over. I actually bought a $250. Um, three wood right before we went to uh the golf trip a couple years ago and it got ran over the first time i ever used it <laughs> so then you got a new 250 <laughs> three wood which you would now hit what very well yeah um and then i got a strix on uh putter i think putter cover or putter <laughs> i don't know i forget i forget Nice. Um, I'm a wood guy. Wood guy. Oh yeah, I mean, kind of think the same situation that that Dove and Tully are talking about. It's it's your tea club. 
And when you're hitting it well, I mean, I think for a three wood, you're hitting it like 220, honestly, when it when it's rolling out. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a pretty darn good option off the tee. Downhill with the wind? Yes. <laughs> Rock hard fairways. It's just like, I could just pick my favorite putter. I just went like way into my game real deep, my whole history of buying clubs. Sorry about that. It was exactly what we needed. Yeah. It's the Kakuya grass that really helps them roll Too out. Too much oh, yeah. poem. I'm real Too good much on, on Kakuya grass. <laughs> nice. All right. I'll round us out here. So we got we got two drivers, we got a wedge, we got a putter, and then we got a three wood like the driver. Um I think uh so I'm like a like a three handicap. I think I'm gonna go with Colin here. Um for me, you know, I would say usually I'm hitting the driver pretty well. I would call myself a pretty good driver of the golf ball. Um missing my fair share of greens. Uh Short game can evade me early on in the season, but usually it comes around. I uh, got a lot of five-footer, eight-footer putts for par, and and it's just oh. a confidence thing, too. Like, when you're rolling those putts in, you just forget about the hole. I don't care if I make an eight-footer for bogey, eight-footer for eagle. It's like just making an eight-footer and rolling in more putts. It's just you walk to the next tee, and you don't have a, a worry in the world. So, to everyone knows, Ben played and got an eagle eight footer. That's really was just trying to get us to. I don't know. I got eight recently. Eagle. First first round of the year, eight footer <coughs> for eagle on like the second hole. Let me just uh, clear my throat here. So we, yeah, we did get our first round of the year in here in Maryland uh, last week, uh, and I did in fact drive the second par fours green and have an eight footer for eagle, which I made, and then as I said, went to the next tee. No care in the world. It was a long walk. What a guy. Nice. All right. That wraps up our uh, podcast today, guys. Thanks for being with us. Uh, hope you got to, had a lot of fun getting to know our games, our favorite clubs, and then uh, reviewing some of the PGA Tour stats. We'll catch you next time. Peace. <laughs>